Good evening, everyone. It's another Saturday night, so we will have a date with Srila Jiva Goswami and discuss the Tattvas and Dharva. Number 63 from the Bhagavat Sandarbha. No one falls from Vaikuntha. Srila Jiva begins this Sandarbha by quoting a verse by Lord Kapila Dev from the third canto. Atho vibhutam mama maya vinastam aishvarya mastangam anu pravritam Sriyam Bhagavatim Vyas Brihayanti Badram Parashyame Te Snu Vate Tuloke. So, no one falls from Vaikuntha. Tutoks Kalanam. We began by looking at uh, a bit of his explanation. Srila Jiva Goswami's elaboration of the verse, his um, transliteration in prose. Um, it ends as follows. So the verse, first the English, I guess, would be appropriate, wouldn't it? <laughs> Therefore... They do not hanker after any opulence stored for them by my maya, nor for the eight ensuing yogic paranormal powers, nor even for the transcendental glory of God. And yet these benign gifts become effortlessly available to them in my supreme abode. So the pure, what Kapil is saying is those that attain to that Vaikuntha atmosphere, because the whole discussion is about Vaikuntha atmosphere here, they do not desire anything. Uh, they have no desire for yogic perfections. They have no desire even for uh, the benedictions I give them in allowing them entrance into Vaikuntha. That's basically what Kapila is saying here. They certainly have no desire for anything of Maya's benedictions, which I've already bestowed upon them in abundance. Uh, and we're going to go into that a little bit this evening. Nor do they, do they want the perfections by the, that are attained by the yogis who have gained mas basically mastery over Maya. They have the eighty-eight yogic perfections, becoming small, becoming big, going anywhere you want, attaining everything, anything you may need or even desire, uh, uh, going in, traveling through the uh, currents of the air within the universe or the, the bodies of water within the universe. That means you go in one place and you come out another. And it wasn't like you had to swim there to get <laughs> Or you had to fly in the sky. You just, you desire and, and you have complete mastery over the material energy. So if you want to, uh, you know, go into the Ganga and, uh, you know, on the earthly planet, you can do that and you can come out, you know, on some heavenly planet where the Ganges is, is also flowing. So you have these abilities through these eight, Siddic perfection. So Kapila's saying here, but they don't even desire that. So they have, they don't want anything from, you know, Artha, Dharma, Kama at all, and they really don't even desire moksha, even though I give them moksha. Um, but these gifts, they come effortlessly for the bhakta. It's not like the effort that has to be 
you know, they come freely. They get elevation to the to the best positions within the material world. Uh, they can go to the heavenly planets, or they're sent to the heavenly planets to to do further service on my behalf. They uh, they take over an administrative post because, as we know, that these are responsible positions and. If you want to put somebody in a responsible administrative post, they better be completely sold out to you or they'd become a traitor. <laughs> so we don't want any traitors <laughs> in the ranks of the demigod <laughs> section of, uh, you know, uh, material management. Mm -hmm. So there's no traitors there. They're all fully sold out to the desire of Krishna. And... So much so that after they've, we went over that verse there from the uh, Vedanta Sutra, that even after uh, performing their their responsibilities as administrative heads in charge of some one department or another of universal administration, uh, they generally go to the planet of Brahma after they've completed their duties. And they reside there, further perfecting them themselves, independent of material responsibilities. That means they have plenty of time to just chant and read. <laughs> and here, no readings required. They have plenty of discourse there about Krishna coming from the lips of other pure devotees, which they are themselves. And when Brahma wraps up a material universe, they get to go with him into the Vaikuntha realm. So we need to have ample respect for the demigods, although we may not ask anything from them, because we also, but we do want to become like them, and that is so completely sold out in our service to the will of the Supreme. That's what gives them um, that's the one qualification they have to hold the position of a demigod. So Kapila Dave goes out on. We ended with this. So here comes a doubt. Maybe they'd get tired of Vaikuntha. I mean, that's our experience in this world. We can go up, we can go down, and we 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 still become restless. You, you know, you can put the jiva in heaven, but he's still restless to you know. He's, there's a restlessness there in material existence, created by the duality of the atmosphere. So, if Vaikuntha is just another planet, Jiva Goswami posits, if it's just another loka, undistinguished from other planets like Siddha Loka and so on, then sooner or later the experiencer's enjoyment of this realm, meaning Vaikuntha, will come to an end. The enjoyment will run its course. I've already enjoyed everything that can be had in this, and that's the way material existence is. We, we're familiar with that. I mean, we can run our course. At a certain point, you know, we become frustrated with this enjoyment or that. Sometimes some of the enjoyments in the material world, though, that one may, can get in, entangled in are such that they can't quit engaging in the activity, although they've know for certain they're done with the enjoyment of the activity. And that's that's the unfortunate reality. I mean, you can... You, even even the highest enjoyment, uh, you know, of, of, of lust, of sex life, you may realize, I've had all the different sex life that I could possibly have with all the variety of, of women or men, but still the... The lust doesn't go away, but the satisfaction from fulfillment of the lust, which got you there in the first place, 
it's, it's never satisfied. Prabhupada, my spiritual master, he likened it to an itching. You know, it, it's, you can itch and you itch, but it doesn't satisfy. Or some addiction, alcohol or drugs or, you know, whatever. You can, you can be completely, completely sure of the fact that if I start drinking, I'm going to end up drunk and I'm going to wake up with a hangover. And you can do that day in and day out, but you can't quit drinking at night. So you realize, I don't want to do this anymore, but you have no control over yourself. So that's really the question. That's at the core of the question here. That the experiencer will he'll completely enjoy the Vaikuntha Loka, just like any other Loka that we have experience of in this realm, and enjoyment will come to an end because that's our experience in this realm everything has a beginning a middle and an end but then Jiva himself responds to this possible doubt and he quotes from the third canto again Lord Kapila Dave speaking in the abode of an adulterated peace I'm sorry, in that abode of an unadulterated peace are found only those who know themselves and feel themselves to belong to me entirely. They will never meet with destruction. My unblinking wheel never devours those for whom I am the totally total beloved. Their very self, son, friend, preceptor, relative, benefactor, and worshipable Lord. So Kapila is saying here that there's no question of them becoming. They're never go, they're not never going to become satiated in their association with me. I'm everything to them. And that everything and that at pleasure that they have in that abode of mine is never going to dissipate. I'm I'm the I'm Rasa Raj. If you think you can, if you think you can reach the end of the enjoyment that you and I can come have together in a loving exchange, no matter what it may be, uh, well, all I can tell you is I'm God and I've been here forever, and I haven't been able to reach the end of my enjoyment of loving reciprocation with my devotees. So Kapila knows I've never been able to reach the end and I know that everyone that's come to me no one's no one's wanted to leave yet. <laughs> so it's something to, something, to, something to say in that and I know I don't want to leave them. So I'm everything to them and they are everything to me. So that abode that we enjoy in together is it's never going to become completely, it's never going to be satiated in that abode. Now, but Krishna does say to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita that within the material realm, all the planets, uh, Brahma, Bhuvana, Loka, up to the planet of Brahma, Loka, are places of return, places of misery, return. But one who attains my abode never takes birth again. So he assures Arjuna there. In the sixth chapter. Some interesting points in this next little section. Jiva Goswami goes on. He says as follows in this Anucheta. Freedom from the fear of fall or destruction is not the full extent of the devotee's glories. That's, that's not, there's a lot more to it than that. Sri Kapila Dave elucidates further in the second half of the verse, those for whom I am the total beloved, 
their very self, son, friend, preceptor, relative, benefactor, and worshipable Lord. This means that for such devotees, there is no entity other than me, the Lord, for whom their love exists. Alternatively, the statement can be taken as a reference to Goloka. Jeeva saying this particular verse by Kapila, the second half of it, the way it's being presented, he's talking not about Vaikuntha in general, but it this the way it's presented can be taken as Lord Kapila speaking specifically about Goloka instead of Vaikuntha as in general. Because only there do the gopas, endowed with a full range of such attitudes, eternally reside. So Jiva Goswami is pointing to this verse and saying, this verse is speaking of Sakyaras. Because of the attributes that Kapila points out in this verse being so easily attributed to the cowherd voice, to the, those in Sakya Ras. Then he goes on and he elaborates a little bit further. Then again, the last two lines, here again where all those, those qualities um, of how the devotee relates to the Lord. He says, then again, the last two lines of the verse can be taken as a reply to the question, what kind of people attain that abode after being freed from ignorance? So what's the character of the devotees in general that, that attain that abode? The idea is this. Some people, like the sages described in the Uttarakhanda portion of the Padma Purana, desire me as their beloved husband, Priya, while others, like the four Kumars, consider me as their very self, Atma, i.e. directly as Brahman. Yet others relate to me in the, sa in the other ways mentioned. Only such persons who know themselves as belonging to me entirely through any of these dispositions can attain Vaikuntha. The word, word Suhrida, bosom friend, is in the plural because such friends are of various kinds. And then Jiva broadens it a little bit. So Jiva Goswami first talks specifically, well, if we look at the verse, I'm seeing in this verse Sakiras. But we can also take it in a broader context. And then he, he explains, there are other devotees who attain Vaikuntha, not specifically Galoka, but Vaikuntha in general. And we can also see the verse applies to them. This is the nature of the Acharya. He's, he, he's preaching is specific and very broad. So... For those in Sakyaras, Jeeva is speaking. For those who are not in Sakyaras, he's also speaking to what exactly is being said here by Lord Kapiladev. I came across something I, I thought I would give special consideration to in regards to this discourse. And... Um, this is from the Madhurya Kadambani. We're going to sp speak a little bit of, from the Madhurya Kadambani tonight. And this is, this is a description by Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur talking about the relationship between Krishna and his devotees. Now the description goes on for quite some time. I'm just going to begin the description uh, 
and if you want to read more, we can. Uh, I can point you to it uh, in the Madhurya Kadamani. It's in the uh, seventh cloud bank in the very end of the book. And he's talking about the appearance of Bhava. This is the beginning of the stage of Bhava after Sadna Bhakti. As we know, Bhakti can broadly be classified into devotional service and practice, devotional service in ecstasy, bhava, devotional service in pure love of God. So Vishwanath Chakravarti says in Madhurya Kadamani, he's actually talking about the stage and here we notice that Srila Rupa Goswami in, in um, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he both separates the stage of bhava from perfection and he considers it perfection. So someone's made it. You can also look at the, at the process of gradual advancement in devotional service as only having two stages, devotional service and practice and devotional service and perfection. So, bhava is the stage of perfecting, the beginning of the perfecting of the perfection of your love. So he's talking about the end of the stage of the beginning of the perfection of the love, which is the stage between bhava and praying. You know who you are, you know what your relationship with Krishna is, and you begin you begin to come fully come into that relationship at the stage of bhava. And then the love grows from there and we'll go over some stages of the there, even in praying. There's seven stages of further perfection. So in bhava the sadhak has gone through the practice. He's free of material existence. He may still be in material existence. He's still got a ways to go, but he knows how he wants to love Krishna. And he's working on culturing that relationship. He's fully fallen in love with Krishna, and I want to be Krishna's bosom buddy, I want to be Krishna's parent, I want to be Krishna's lover, I want to be Krishna's servant. All these things are there. Stai Baba is there. We don't, there's some neutrality there, but really the, the, the platform and, the, you know, our Sampradaya is more concerned with with one of these four relationships, servitude, friendship, parental affection, or conjugal relation. Vishwanath says, Madhurya Kadamani, then Prem, assuming the form of a magnet, attracts black Krishna and makes him appear to the devotee for a moment. At that time, all the senses of the devotee, eyes, nose, ears, tongue, sense of touch, become the receptacles of all the auspiciousness, auspicious qualities of Krishna. His supreme beauty, fragrance, melody, youthfulness, tasty, tastiness, adarya, and karunya. From tasting the extreme sweetness and ever freshness, freshness of these qualities of the Lord, a greater longing, which at every moment increases, is born in the devotee because of his praying. Poetic words are not adequate to describe the ocean of transcendental bliss which appears at this time. And then Vishwanath goes on, for another six or eight paragraphs in poetic presentation talking about the sweetness of Krishna. 
This is what's being referred to by Lord Capilla. How, how would anybody become bored in, a, in this kind of relationship where you're dealing with Krishna directly and, this, and everything about him is, is, is undescribably de- delicious? <laughs> would be a, po- a poetic way to put it. When Prem ascends to its highest excellence, then the stages of Sneha illuminates the lamp of realization of Krishna. When, after going through Prem, one reaches the stage of Prem, then Prem also has stages. So these stages of Prem begin with Prem. So we start with with Bhava, Rati. Rati or Bhava, they're both equivalent. Then we go to the stage of Prem and that transforms through eight, eight stages of sweetness becoming more and more sweet. Vishwadath, what we just read, is the beginning of that prayer. The Krishna just overwhelms one. Then you have Sneha, Mata, Pranaya, Rag, Anurag, and Mahabhav. Now let's just talk about, well, what's Sneha like? Just to give us a, a, a where, you know, this is what Vishwadath is trying to give us some, some inkling of what it's like. So Sneha comes in two forms. Sneha is the complete and absolute melting of the heart. I mean, it just it's, that's it. You, Krishna's won you over entirely. There's no one else that you're going to want to be with or, you know, or love as much as you're going to love Krishna. And your heart melts. But it can melt in one of two ways. So, in the first way, Rita Sneha, it melts like ghee melts. And you realize, I'm his. He, he's, I'm his, I'm sold to Krishna, what? Or whatever he wants, that's that's what I'll do. There's also another melting, Madhu Sneha, melting like honey. And it's it's a little different. There the devotee is feeling like I own Krishna. He's mine. So in one, the heart is melting and Krishna owns me. and the other, the heart is also melting and I own Krishna. So that gives you some idea of how devotees enter into these loving relationships based on their, their uh, how, how they're so inclined to to relate with the Lord in a loving relationship. So honey-like and ghee-like sneha. And then the great acharyas, in their writings, they go through all this. There's nothing left out. You can read about sneha, the stage of sneha, and how the heart is melting there, and, and go on and read about mana and pranaya. Rag, Anurag, and they even write of Mahabhav, which is Radha's particular loving relationship, which also others can have a glimpse of who are closely associated with her. She doesn't keep it all for herself. She wants others to experience, just like as we all do, if we have 
some nice experience. Oh, did you see this? Do that? Have you been here? Have you talked with that person? Jiva Goswami ends uh, the, the direct Anucheta by quoting Narada uh, from the fourth canto. Again, speaking of the fact that there's no question of falling. Fourth canto, those established in unadulterated peace who are um, equal to all, pure, and who please all other living beings effortlessly go to that abode from which no one falls, achuta padam, for they keep friendship with the dear devotees of the infallible Lord. I think one thing needs to be said when we talk about this loving relationship with the Lord and how it it unfolds and is ever-increasing. We have to understand that the Lord, the closeness of the Lord and His devotion devotees which would be his eternal associates is 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 I mean they're inseparable and it's when the devotees as the devotees develop that personal relationship and love with the Lord it's not that their love for all other people increase decreases in any way it's not an exclusivity it's an all-inclusivity because they see everyone, and especially all the Lord's direct associates, as his very self. Um, so now we go to a considerable commentary on this. And what comes out is Lord Kapila Day's verse points out two important reasons why no one falls from Vaikuntha. First is time has no influence there. That's the first reason. And the second and the more important reason is that all the residents there have such an eternal loving relationship with the Lord. They're established in what we know technically is called a Stai Bhava. It's a permanent relationship, a loving relationship with the Supreme. So that eternal loving relationship is, there's no way that that, there's no possibility of it ending. If someone could fall from Vaikuntha, then we would have to arrive at the conclusion that Vaikuntha is a material place. Mm. If someone could fall that from there, it would have to be material. Because therefore, there would have to be the influence of time and there would have to be the influence of the modes of material nature. So therefore, the translator, Sachin Narayan Das, in his commentary, he says, all right, let's just look at that. Let's look at the proposition that someone can fall from Vaikuntha even though we know from what 
Jeeves just said, it's not possible. Let's go a little deeper just to make sure that there's no misconceptions. Although a material act cannot occur in Vaikuntha because there's no matter there. <laughs> so what can what what material what what influence of matter could they be there? What beginnings, what ends, what what time? All the factors that are attributed to the Lord's material energies. Uh, they have no influence there. But let's assume for the sake of argument that somehow or other someone could fall. Well, as in the material world, of course we know that world has no none of this going on, but let's just say, for argument's sake, someone could fall. There would have to be some impetus for that fall. Something would have to force them to fall. So, I have had this argument repeatedly, probably in such a Ryan's case for the whole time he's been a devotee. He came and started this work of translating Jiva's works. So, let's go over six scenarios. Let's just look at six ways that somebody may say somebody could fall. Below are six conditions often thought to proceed a fall down. Here's six of them, followed by a discussion of the condition conditions in greater detail. I'm a jiva. I have free will. I may just want to go to the material world. The surup of the pure jiva, the nature of the pure jiva, when he's situated in this loving relationship with the Supreme, his very nature at that time is undiminishing, unbreakable, and all-consuming love of God. In other words, he's having a good time chanting his rounds on every particular day at every particular moment. In other words, that one little glimpse of spiritual pleasure that we may have had at one time or another in our very short devotional lives in the association of the spiritual master or the sadhu or the deity directly that one spark of spiritual pleasure that we sometimes are allowed is ever is never ending in their every moment of existence. That's their nature in that realm. Every day is a perfect day of devotional service, not just some special festival day. Every single day. Not that one day you're allowed to directly serve your guru. Every moment. Such devotees do not desire material or spiritual opulences without devotional service. They wouldn't want anything that didn't have devotional service involved. There's, there's no pleasure in anything except their service for them. They don't want anything independent of Bhagavan. They do not hanker even for the transcendental glory of God. They don't want to be God. They don't, they don't want any of the opulences of God. Although they're given those opulences freely. They have no desire for them. So how can material opulences attract them? How could their free will, since they don't want spiritual opulences, why would they want material opulences? And if they have free will and they've tasted the sweetness of Krishna, 
well, come on. You know, you're ever intoxicated in love for Krishna. Why would you want anything else? There's, there's nothing. Why would you yearn for everything that you already have? Krishna in Vaikuntha, the residents there experience whatever their hearts desire. Krishna personally gives that to them. Along with the ground they walk on, along with every tree that they walk up to and every cow that they touch. The cows are Kamandenu. The trees are Kalpavriksha. The ground is Shintamani. All these things are completely wish-fulfilling. Elsewhere, Lord Kapila says, and the quote, quote is here from the, again from the third canto, canto, without being assured of my service, a pure devotee does not accept any kind of liberation. Whether it be residence on the same planet with me, Salokya, opulence equal to mine, Sarsti, a prox, proximity to me, Samipya, Endowment with a form identical with mine, Swarupya, or becoming one with me, a Katvam, even though I may offer him these. So Lord Kapila is saying, my devotees, they don't want any of this, unless there's service involved. Unless there's some service to me involved, none of these things attract them. Lord Parikshit also says in the Bhagavatam, a person whose heart has been washed clean never abandons Krishna's lotus feet. Like a traveler who has arrived home, he is relieved of all distress. Well, he commits sins. He's in, up there and he's just he commits a sin. So he could fall down from committing a sin. If he doesn't want to leave of his own free will probably did something bad and that got him kicked out. Response. There is no possibility of committing sin in the spiritual world. Sin and piety exist only in the material world, both being products of the gunas of nature. A devotee in the spiritual world is situated in his eternal Nature, Swarup, free from material coverings of ignorance. Mukti does not means to give up the subtle and gross bodies and become situated in one's original nature. Bhagavad Gita Krishna explains this. All sins are burned in the fire of transcendental knowledge. In the fourth chapter. Krishna says to Arjuna, even if you are the most sinful of all sinners, you will be able to cross over the ocean of miseries in the boat of knowledge. As a blazing fire reduces fuel to ashes, O Arjuna, so does the fire of knowledge reduce all karma to ashes. Also from the sixth canto, some rare souls who are completely devoted to Lord Vasudeva totally destroy all their sins by their exclusive devotion, just as the sun immediately dissipates fog with its rays. Again, from the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. So all these evidences are saying, you're saying somebody can commit sin in, in Vaikuntha? Well, they don't have it in them. It's not there anymore. That propensity comes from the association and Krishna and his devotees say repeatedly here, there and everywhere and here's a few references Krishna and the Gita and said in the first canto by hearing this Srimad Bhagavatam one is blessed with devotion to Krishna the supreme person this devotion puts an end to all Mourning, bewilderment, and fear. 
All right. So he doesn't want to leave. And he can't commit any sins because it just doesn't, he's not in them anymore. And the atmosphere doesn't allow it because there's no modes of material nature there to be attracted to. And all your all your desires are fulfilled anyway. So, I mean, why would you have to sin to fulfill a desire? You're given whatever you want, material or spiritual, and you don't want anything material and spiritual. So that kind of covers it. Oh, but a devotee could curse you. Response. There is no possibility that a devotee would curse another devotee in Vaikuntha. A devotee never desires to harm anyone what to speak of another devotee. Pallad Maharaj says that a devotee is endowed with all auspicious qualities. From the fifth canto, all the gods come and invest their qualities in one who is devoted to the Supreme Lord without independent interest or desire. In other words, the devotee doesn't have a desire, but the demigods come and give him whatever they have. Here, please take whatever I have. I mean, remember, when the demigods are like, you take care of these human beings. I want to take birth there. This is where they want to be, where we are. They don't want to be where they are. They want to be where we are. They want to come to the land where there can be karma. Because in this land, there's an opportunity for pure unalloyed devotional service. The atmosphere, in fact, is perfect here for this kind of engagement. Their atmosphere, well, it's kind of hard when everything around you is just, just begging you to enjoy me. That's, that's in a material way not in a spiritual way. Everything in heaven is just begging the residents, enjoy me, enjoy me, have what you, whatever you want. You live here forever, you have everything. All material facility is available to them, and they're like, boy, I would like to go to earth and where I could see that there's another side to the coin. Because I forget that there's another side to the coin. I don't even know, you know when I'm going to die. Life here is so, I'm almost eternal. Thousands of years, I mean, just think, a reign of Manu, 71 cycles of the four yugas. And generally the term of a demigod is, is, is that long. It's unimaginable. It's unimaginable living in a body for a hundred thousand years. No possibility of getting sick at all. No possibility of growing old at all. The women don't even have to worry about childbirth. They enjoy to their, to their heart's content and the last year of their life they give birth to a child. Then that's that they've done their they filled fulfilled that end of it. Inconceivable. And I don't think the baby's screaming and yelling when it's coming out. <laughs> and I don't think the wife is screaming and yelling either. You know, it's it's a different atmosphere. And you have all the mystic opulences. Not only do you have all the wealth of the world, you have all the power of the world at your disposal. They want to come here to this atmosphere. So they invest all the qualities in one who is devoted to the Supreme Lord without independent interest or desire. Just hoping that the devotees that are here will look upon them favorably. And say, oh, I hope, you know, I hope you can become a pure devotee. Just the intent of a devotee is like, means so much. On the other hand, where are the great virtues of a person, person not devoted to Sri Hari, whose desires lead him to wander about in the superficial 
and in permanent realm. A devotee has no desire to harm even those who consider him their enemy. I mean, look at Prahlad Maharaj. For me, I mean Prahlad. Somebody throws you under a bunch of elephants, throws you down the side of a mountain, tries to boil you in oil. <laughs> yes, I, I'd have a hard time not considering such a person my enemy. But Pallad never considered anybody his enemy. In the third canto, those established in truth are tolerant, merciful, and friendly to all beings. Their enemy is never, has never been born. And so they are situated in unadulterated peace. Such persons are jewels amongst the virtuous. Those are just some of the stories from the Puranas. Wherein devotees curse each other. I'm sorry. Then he goes on. There are some stories in the Puranas wherein devotees curse each other, but this is just to set the scene for the unfolding of the Leela and not truly inimical feelings. No true, no true, truly inimical feelings are present. Well, how do I? That, how am I supposed to take that? It surely seemed like. One devotee was inimical to another devotee. So those couple of those instances are explained. Just as those who who visit a prison, they don't become prisoners. They're visiting. So those devotees who are so-called cursed to come to this material world to assist the Lord in his leela are not bound by the gunas of nature, like Jaya and Vijaya. The associates of Bhagavan are almost as powerful as Bhagavan himself, as stated in the Bhagavatam. They saw him with eyes resembling a pair of full-blown autumn lotuses and surrounded by his sixteen associates, who appeared exactly like him, only without the mark of Srivats and the Kastuba gem. Well, that's the first three of six. We'll finish up the others. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.